Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And, and you're, you're about, about to, to Get, get jumped. jumped. Welcome to episode 13 of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. But you should still totally watch the anime. This week on Get Jumped, we are returning to Cowboy Bebop and finally introducing the character Radical Ed. Yeah, um, he's the lesser known uh, cousin of Mr. Ed from that TV show. They don't even have to put, uh, like, you know, peanut butter on the top of his mouth to make it look like he's talking. No. He's just trained. No. 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 Whatever. No. Whatever. Let's just jump in. such an idiot uh hey guys welcome to lucky number 13 i, I don't know evil number 13 that's yeah good. i don't i said that and i was like i don't know if like japanese or other cultures have the 13 thing if you're not from america and you don't have the 13 thing the deal is that for whatever reason people are superstitious about the number 13 as it being like evil or pretentious or something and the best manifestation of this is sometimes skyscrapers will not have a 13th floor so like you get in the elevator and you go like 10 11 12 14 15 16 etc yeah which it's real stupid like i don't know you can name it whatever you want to but whichever floor comes 13th that's the 13th floor like you can't trick me it's just numbers (laughs) you can't fool me science so we've got we're back with Cowboy Bebop today, which is awesome. Um, and yeah. I gotta say, got- watching Cowboy Bebop this week, I it's so beautiful. It's so beautifully animated, and it's just the production quality is so high. Even though it's dated, and you can see like the way that it looks, you can tell that it's quite a few years old. But, like, it's just beautiful. And it made me think of a Miyazaki film and other, like, really high-production anime movies because the yeah. the in, the movements are so smooth of the characters, but also the environments that they're in are so intensely detailed. And many shots include, like, a foreground and a background, so you're getting um, all kinds of depth to your backgrounds um, and to your scenarios. And it, like... Just it's so detailed and beautiful, and it it's just a joy to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on top I, of being I good really, stories. Yeah, I I really we could go on and on about Cowboy Bebop and how good the animation is. I think we've done that like enough. Yeah, I um, think we do that like but, a little bit every week. It's just and it's totally warranted. If you haven't yet watched Cowboy Bebop, if, do what? What are you doing, man? <laughs> What's your what is life? How how is Babby made? <laughs> <laughs> so we have three episodes for you this week. We're doing episode nine, ten, and eleven. And yeah. uh these are all great and they're all super different from each other. Yeah, uh, it's it's wild really like shifts. what Yeah, it's really like watching three different genres of uh like 
really three different genres of a television show. But each one of these are very small vignette movies, almost. And that's, um, that's really how Cowboy Bebop is. Like, aside from a couple of multi-part episodes, they're all mm-hmm. self-contained movies, and they're yeah, all good. But, yeah, but these these feel like very three very different genres of movie. Yeah. So like it, it's it's like him him taking these really well built characters, and as soon as he finally has well built characters, he decided to just put them in a sandbox and just play. Yeah. So and it's such good characterization because it's like it's very episodic, but at the same time, each episode digs into something. Um, pro- probably with the exception of the last episode we're going to cover today, which is just kind of a fun send up. So like. Episode nine is sort of a, a exploration of like loneliness and AI with a goofy edge, and then episode ten is like film noir, and then mm-hmm. episode eleven is a reference to the movie Alien. So we're all over yeah. the map today. Yeah, but I mean, one of the things one of the things that I. I, I really, really, really am putting the, I put this up there last week and the week before so far, but I mean, like we want to hear people talk about these things. And, um, I, I really, really want to throw it out there too. If we can start getting people responding back, I would love to answer like questions that you have for us, like at the end of episodes, Yeah, because I mean, we, we really want to connect more with the people that are listening to this and we've getting like, we're getting a little bit of like trickling in of people that are listening, but it's, it's really tripping me out. Like this week alone, we had like our highest viewer count that we've ever had. Yeah. Probably by 10 times compared to previous weeks. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's starting to trip me out that I haven't heard more from people yet. And I would, I would love to like answer questions except for the, or hear um, like, uh, our British spy. He said yeah, he's not a spy, yeah. but, like, if you were a spy, that's what you would say. You would never say that you're not a spy. You would always you be, would, like... You would always yeah. say that you're never a spy. You're, like, no, I'm a, I, I just a contractor or whatever. And we yeah. can see through this. We can see through you. Yeah. Anyways. I feel um, like that was so, maybe, like, too confrontational. Don't stop listening. We really <laughs> like you. He likes, like, all of our posts on Facebook now. We'll talk about you, too, if you interact with us. Just fucking do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can you can be a part of getting attention from us. Yeah. Um, anyways, um, so uh, without further ado, uh, Blake is going to give us a little wrap up of like what we watched in the past couple of episodes of Cowboy Bebop, and then we're going to jump right in. Yeah, uh, like I said, Cowboy Bebop is really episodic, and it's really about character development. So I'm going to talk less about what kinds of events occurred in the previous episodes, and more about what characters we've got and sort of what you need to know to roll into today. So we have the crew of the Bebop, which is a spaceship, and they are puttering around mostly between Jupiter, Mars, and Earth. And uh, the crew consists of three people and a dog. The main, main character, his name is Spike. He is a tall, lanky dude with wild hair. And uh, he is kind of laid back, but is extremely talented and dangerous when he wants to be. Um, Along with him is Jet, who is a large, muscular guy with a robot arm, shaved head, and a beard. He, uh, man, the robot arm should have been the last thing. That's definitely the coolest. Um, Jet (laughs) is a little bit more serious than Spike. 
and is kind of the team mom and keeps people in order and seems to be the one that's a little bit more uh, like bookkeeping and stuff like that. He also used to be a police officer, which we will learn a little bit more about this episode. Um, the final human member of the crew is Faye. She joined them early on in the show sort of by talking her way onto the ship um, she still has a mildly antagonistic relationship with them, although it's pretty playful at this point. Um, she's definitely become a part of the crew. Um, she has a mysterious past, which we won't learn about yet today, but we will learn about next episode, I believe. And, or next Bebop episode. Um, she doesn't get to do a lot today. And then finally, we have Ayn, who is a corgi that lives on the ship with them and is easily the best character because it's a dog. I knew that you were going to say something like that at the end of this, just because of how obsessed it's you are with true. the dog. I just, it's just I just thing. saw like a, a a meme today where it was just like this girl and she's just staring at her like sleeping pug, and then the pug wakes up, and then they're just like both lovingly looking at each other. And I was just like, this that's is my like entire life as soon as yeah. it gets a dog. Yep, that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. Anyways, whatever. Okay. So Episode nine. We're getting into uh, Ed's first episode and first appearance inside of the finally. show. Um, it's finally. It's shocking I, how long it takes for us to meet Edward. Yeah, and it's also kind of a bummer to me that it took this long to be like introduced to Ed. Because Ed's one of my favorite characters. Uh, because she she like is so, so different from the way that everybody else thinks in the show. Yeah. Like, so, so Spike, Jet, and Faye are all these people that are like um, these sort of like uh, a little bit more new aged, um, like human beings. They're like, silent but deadly. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. But because they're they they're have like quiet, they have skilled. It makes sense. I know what I mean. Anyways, so the people that they've experienced inside of the world are. These people that are, um, if you ran into them, like, today, you wouldn't be like, oh, this person's from the future. But Ed is on a completely different level. So Yeah, Ed's Ed almost from interacts- a different anime, the way that she behaves. Yeah, yeah and she responds, I, I think, like, one of the best ways to explain it is, like, a super insanely amped up millennial where she, you know, <laughs> has, like, screen addiction, and she also has, like, a very short attention span, and also she she plays with life as if, um, she plays with, like, um, all the different things that are happening to her as if she is immortal and unhurtable. I like, feel like maybe that last part's starting to diverge from millennial experience, but the rest of it makes sense. She's... She's just such a fascinating character, though, because the way that she, like, experiences the world is so much different. And it's because, I I think it's probably because she is so smart that she is, you know, nigh, like, a demigod, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like how how they react to things inside of the world, and it's just like, if you have technology on you and everything has technology, then I have a leg up on you, and I am not afraid of you anymore. Like, when those... Yeah. Okay, so this episode starts out with the police... Uh, busting in on Ed, and she is number one, not caring at all about that's them. Not, it's, and number that's number two, like halfway through the episode. No, it's not. It happens. Yeah, it at, like, is. Look the at the bullet start. points. There's like t- like fourteen <sighs> bullet points. This is number seven. Okay, I'm just relaying it to my point. It's happening now because <laughs> yeah. my point is relevant. Because like 
these police bust in on her and she's completely unafraid and just like flies their ship away. Yeah, because she's like, it just oh, doesn't hi. take any effort. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so this episode, it's number nine. It's called Jamming with Edward. And it opens up with this like kind of weird moment where like this is like a sort of disembodied voice talking about like being alone. And then you see like shots of a satellite over earth and then like the satellite and all the satellites around it shoot lasers down at the earth. And I was like, I didn't remember what exactly was going on. And I was like, what are they shooting? And then it turns out that they're drawing um, basically like massive hieroglyphics on the surface of the planet. Uh, So we see that. And then we cut to Ed lying on the ground and Ed is this, uh, skinny sort of wiry kid with this shock of red hair and a pair of green goggles that she wears all the time. Um, yeah. And, and other than that, she's just like, yeah, white t-shirt and like blue shorts or whatever. No shoes ever. Um, ever. ever. No. And she's just well, she needs this them. like she ball needs of energy. Has to be no shoes so that she can type with her feet. That's right. Obviously, she does type with her feet. Don't be ridiculous. So she's just lying there kind of relaxing, and there's a weather forecast talking about rock showers from the radio next to her. And that's sort of our introduction to the character, and we'll get to learn more about her in a second. But And more uh, of an introduction to Earth, too. Yeah, this is maybe the first time we've been to Earth, I think. I think it might be because like one of the things you're starting to pick up on and you see this from one of the early shots of the like the laser shooting down from the satellites is that the earth is surrounded by a cloud of debris. Yeah. And we've talked about it a little bit, but the the gate disaster that basically destroyed most of the earth um, has left behind this like wake of destruction that just sometimes rains down on Earth. Yeah, so that's the they they mention this in more detail later on, but it's basically that's what the rock showers they're talking about are. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the part where like Ed is sitting there and they're like there's a 20% chance of rock showers and then like a couple of seconds later there's like a giant explosion from like a a meteor hitting the earth like right next to Ed and the radio's like actually it's like a 90% chance of rock showers. <laughs> So anyway, we we cut to the bebop and um, the crew is listening to a news report about the symbols being drawn on the earth. And there's uh, there's a mention of the police putting out an eight million dollar bounty for the person who hacked the satellite to make it shoot those symbols into the earth. And that super gets everyone's attention because that's a pretty high bounty. The rest of their bounties have not um, have not quite gotten there. Um, they actually and they really never get ones. any bounties. No, and they won't get this bounty either um, at the end. Although this God, one is more stop of a giving stuff away, Blake. You're, You're the one jumping who ahead. ahead first. I'm I'm jumping. We're all jumping. We're getting jumped over here. <laughs> Title oh drop. My gosh. <laughs> so us. So uh, right now. <laughs> Spike does not want to go down to Earth because he he basically is like, this kind of case is boring to me, so I'm not interested. And Faye is kind of um, needling, about it, needling him about not wanting to go and sort of like basically being like, what are you, scared? Um, and so it's going to be her and Jet. And then Jet, she talks about like how Jet is old and, or at least older, 
and Jet's like says that she's older than him or something like that. And she's like, oh, you shouldn't. Um, you're not supposed to talk to a woman about a woman's age or something like that. And it kind of seems like a fun throwaway bit, but just spoiler alert, it's not. <laughs> yeah, because Jet, no, he, you know, he's he's already cut off one of her feet so that he could check the number of rings, like Let's a count tree. The rings. Count See the rings. how old that she is. You got to <laughs> count those rings. Count them. How else will you know how old she is? This is <laughs> what is this? This is turning into like really unsettling dating advice. <laughs> Do not cut off people's feet to see how old they are, listeners. Any, anyways, so you you go down to Earth, and uh, or at least uh, Jet and Faye do. Um, we've already heard about the bit where the police are running, breaking in on Ed, right? That yeah, happens the, right now, right? The only yeah, that happens right at. Uh, so there's the Faye bit, and then the you see on the news report that they were looking at earlier. They mentioned that the gate accident happened 50 years ago, which I think we know already. Um, but the specifically that um, the explosion caused people to migrate underground. So people that live on Earth do not live on the surface; they live underground. And the reason They've is to fall. They become mole people. Yeah. Um, the Faller do- Dr. Malkovic and Battle the Fantastic Four. Um, yeah. So they uh, live underground largely because of uh, frequently falling moon rocks. And I was like, oh, I had totally forgotten about this. Like the moon is destroyed. There's no moon. And when you see shots of the earth, you never see the moon, but you do see debris all around it. And it's like, the moon was blown up by this gate exploding and the debris was sort of like drawn in by earth's gravity and just like falls on earth constantly, which is not a great situation. Yeah. Well, anyways, so these, these police are looking for radical Edward. Um, they find her and she, you know, takes their ship and runs it around. They run off and I guess she runs away. But in she, the meantime, I'm sorry, she, she takes her ship talk. and runs around. She hacks into their ship when they break in to see her. And she like starts flying it like she was flying a drone earlier, like using mm-hmm. one of those control pads. And she's just like, "Wee, this is great. And then she just crashes it into the ground. And she's like, oops. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing that we haven't talked about yet is that she started to hack into the satellite. And she's, yeah. she's found this, like, satellite that has been carving into the side of the planet, and she starts speaking to it. And um, it 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 looks like, you know, a, a couple of numbers and then, like, a nerve ending is, like, the, the visual representation of it. Yeah. Um, it starts to talk to her. It sounds like a very, um, it, it doesn't really understand consciousness or what it's really, you know, what's really happening to it. Yeah. Um, but she calls it Impu. And she wants MPU, to become friends with which it. is pronounced MPU. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she wants to be its friend. And um, she's talking to it. Uh, and it basically is an AI satellite that has become self-aware because it was designed for some purpose before the Earth was destroyed. And, um, you know, was designed to run on its own, independent of commands from the surface. And so in this time, it's developed a, a certain type of self-awareness. So like it, it's sort of a burgeoning consciousness and it understands that there are not others like it and it's alone. And yeah. think, of, um, think about it as like a slightly more whimsical version of Hal. 
from 2001 A Space Odyssey. Sure. So yeah, it's exactly that. Uh, so Ed talks to it, and this is kind of a reveal for the episode because the bounty is on the hacker that caused these satellites to shoot the Earth. And you see Ed hacking early on in the episode. I believe it's in the sequence where you see the satellites shoot or directly thereafter. Um, so you think that Ed is hacking it and making this happen, but it turns out that the satellite in its new awareness has decided to start shooting these images into the earth because the people that used to live on the earth would have similar images there and it misses looking at them essentially. Yeah. It's really kind of sad. Yeah. It's like, Oh man, there's so much like ennui in this episode. (laughs) Yeah. It's like a, it's really, it's not tonally dissonant because that would imply that it's done poorly and it, it's not. But, like, Ed is a very whimsical character and is really silly and rarely seems to take things seriously. Whereas this is, like, a rumination on loneliness. And so it's, like, it feels like a weird combination, but it works really well. Um, Meanwhile, Jet and Faye are looking around for Ed and they're having conversations with, like, the random, like, grab bag of people that are still on Earth. Yeah. Um... And everybody is, like, uh, talking about Ed as if she is a gigantic seven-foot, like, person or, like, a big giant monster. Or, like, one person says, like, she's only three years old. Right. he's only three years old. Everybody thinks it's a he. They see, I think you get, like, four or five different people and each person gives conflicting accounts. One person says Ed is a she. Like, oh, Ed's really a girl. Everybody else refers to Ed as he. Um, I liked the, the like, woman that said that she thought that Radical Ed was gay. Was like, I get that. Not that Ed is gay, but, you know. You're the worst. Because I'm gay, so. Oh, God, shut up. You idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, also, I didn't remember them saying that, and I wonder if it's in the in the dub or if just if it's just in the sub because i was watching the subs last night yeah um, so i kind of wonder are, what the differences are great at this by the way i'm gonna deviate a little bit because i just realized this on our show that I haven't brought it up yet <laughs> oh my gosh so last night i i read this fantastic article um it was written by the uh the i think it's the anime it's like one of the anime networks um, like Crunchyroll or something like that, but they were talking about why Cowboy Bebop is such a good dub, and like mm. the reason why they they like they got like such good dubbing for the show, and apparently the reasoning why is because all of the voice actors on the show were ha- were handpicked by like the creator of the show and the director. Oh, that's awesome! And I'm like. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Because it's, it's just like, it's also I have to imagine most maturity. of them are like, yeah. And there are so many anime dubs that are just unlistened. You cannot listen to them. Naruto is one of them that is really, really hard for me to watch the dub. I, yeah. I was having to watch some episodes of it the other day for this show. <laughs> and um, I was like recapping and I couldn't get onto Netflix at the job that I work at. Um, cause it's like a block network, whatever. Anyways. Um, so I was like, well, I guess I'll try to find something online. 
and the only site that wasn't blocked was YouTube, and the only thing that I could find of like a bootleg was, um, was the the dubbed version of it, and I was yeah. like, I would rather not do it. <laughs> it's not great. I I like started watching Naruto with the dub. And so it didn't bother me until like many years later after I had switched to the sub and saw the dub again. And I was like, no, I can't do this. It's not good. It's just like, it's kind of the lowest common denominator dub where it's like they rewrite some things in a way that is a little bit goofier and a little bit more ridiculous. And they give Naruto this super fucking annoying catchphrase. And it's also the way that American voice actors do anime characters is very affected and very character voice, which is not necessarily that different from Japanese voice actors. um, But, but it is not the case in Cowboy Bebop. Not at all. They are not affected at all. Serious. These are real characters. They're not cartoon characters. Yeah. And even when you have a character that is as off the wall as Ed is, it is played as like a it it makes sense with the person that like that is being portrayed, you know? Yeah, she is sort of a ridiculous anime comedic character, but she never deviates so far that it feels out of place. And they work to make her feel realistic so you understand why she's goofy. Yeah. Anyways, so speaking uh, of <laughs> she so after this really unsuccessful uh, attempt at figuring out who Ed is, Jet and Faye return to the ship and relay the information to Spike that Ed seems to be a seven-foot-tall man who also might be a young girl or a monster and is potentially gay. And basically, the, they have no information and right about that time, Ed reaches out to the Bebop by hacking into their ship and just, like, info dumps them about the satellite. Yeah. And so Ed is telling them all about what's going on with this. And they need to go get to the satellite. They need to... Uh, they have to be on top of the satellite, shut down all of these other systems... And they need to, uh, like, manually remove the CPU brain of, uh, of Impu so that it will, like, stop carving into the side of the Earth. Yeah. But and also because it's the bounty. There's a catch. Yeah. And the catch is... Kind of an important ar- catch. Around this satellite, there are, like, 5,000 of these, like defensive satellites that have these like mounted attack lasers attached to them. So if you use like a computer system, they will pick up on it and they will start firing on you immediately. And Spike is like, well, now I'm in because this sounds like an actual challenge. Yeah. Which is such a great character moment in an episode where he otherwise almost doesn't appear. Yeah. So, then we uh we cut to Spike going towards the satellite. It's it's pretty sweet. He's navigating with the uh the swordfish too, uh a la like re- re- releasing little bits of air so that his like ship will spin correctly. Yeah. Um 
but as he's approaching, Impu like notices him, and uh, as soon as he's gonna try to just like shoot the satellite in the side so that it will like stay in place, the satellite uh, throws one of the attack the other attack satellites in the way of his like laser beam, and it hits that one instead. And then they all start shooting. Well, it's because he like decides to drive forward. Yeah, exactly. He he basically like the jig is up. They know he's here, so he turns his computer back on and and basically as a method of getting there faster. Um, yeah, because otherwise he'd be a sitting duck. Yeah, and Impu obviously has like noticed him, so you know Impu also has a a laser inside of it. I'm pretty sure. So he yeah, can just, it does like, shoot him or something. You know. Yeah, it tries um, to shoot at him. <clears throat> yeah. So Faye goes into defensive mode too. She starts shooting at the satellites and trying to draw the fire. Yeah, and there's also just this, like there's this hilarious bit where like Spike has a missile mounted on the swordfish, and Jet is like, "Spike, don't use that missile unless you absolutely can't help it because it's expensive." And then like a minute later in the show, Spike shoots the missile off as. It's not like a waste, like he's on the defensive and he, it's a hairy situation, but he shoots the missile off at Impu and it kind of goes wild and it cuts back to Jet and Jet's like, oh man, that's what you get for buying one of the cheap ones. <laughs> so <laughs> great. Yeah. But, uh, uh, okay. So then, <laughs> then Ed is like, hey, the only way that you're going to be able to get to Impu is that you're going to have to like go as close as possible to it, climb on the side of it, because there's not going to fire on you if you're within, like, 20 yards of the satellite, because they don't want to hurt the satellite, right? Right. Um, he goes over, plugs in uh, Swordfish, and Ed, uh, instead of, like, just downloading it, he ma- she makes a copy of MPU, takes it, keeps it onto her computer system... It specifically then, she offers MPU. She's like, "Hey, I'm going to make a copy of you so that you can like come onto my network and interface with all these other programs, and then I can give the copy away to the police, and they'll stop bothering you." Yeah, it's it's pretty sweet because yeah, it's, it's like, cool. She she's like taking in this this lost orphan of technology, yeah. which she is. She's this technological genius that's an orphan. Right. Or you think is an orphan there. in the show. And it's this connection between like the technological world and like the human world and her having empathy for this program. And it's it's really kind of like a beautiful moment. Yeah, it's lovely. And the the episode ends with So they you two, finding out two, two jokes things. basically. The first is they try to get the bounty and the police won't give it to them. And they are like, well, you can't get the bounty because it's not a a living person. And it's hard to determine like the personhood of an AI. So we're not going to pay you, (laughs) which is like. And then you have Faye who is uh, promised that Ed could come and be a part of the ship of the Bebop. Yeah. As a condition for Ed helping them out with Impu. Yeah. But instead of actually doing anything that she promises, which is, you know, phase way, um, she decides to try to get them to fly off. But you can't do that with Ed because she's just going to hack your system and make you fly down to Earth again. Yeah, which is exactly which she what happens. Does. Yeah. Yeah. It's so great. And then the, <laughs> the episode ends with, with uh, 
Oh my god, I forgot. The episode ends with Spike saying one of my favorite lines, which is just like, Jet, what are the th- uh, what are the three things I hate? Dogs, <laughs> yes. kids, and women who talk back. Yeah, and it just like shows Ein, Ed, and Faye when he says each of those things. It's so And he's great. like, how did we get this, all three of them, on the ship? <laughs> It's so great. So uh, now we're heading into episode 10, which is called Ganymede Elegy and is quite the tonal shift. Um, Although the opening sequence is hysterical. The opening sequence is a dude is tied up and Ayn is barking at this person. And the guy like kicks a can at Ayn or something to get him to stop barking. And then Ed just like falls out of the ceiling and like accidentally headbutts the dude. Unlike falls and rolls and plays dead on the ground next to the guy and the dude like pokes ed's head with uh with his shoe and then ed like looks up and growls at him like an animal and it's just hilarious yeah i think i thought ed bit him too i think she does yeah she's she's really a wild child it's um but it's not about them and we kind of cut away from them and don't really see them again yeah, so this episode we're going to Ganymede for the first time, and I, I really, really like how how cool Ganymede is. It's um, it's this uh, this satellite. Um, I think it's it's not built into an asteroid, right? That's not this one, right? Mm, I don't remember that. So no. Okay, so Ganymede is the satellite that Jet is from. Um, that's well, where it's one he... of isn't it one of Jupiter's moons? Because you it see Jupiter be. in the background. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. I can't remember, but at some point he says that it's like a satellite station. Anyways, um, so Jet is talking to one of the police officers because they're bringing in this bounty uh, that they have, and the police officer recognizes him, and then you start to get a little bit of a backstory. They they kind of shoot the shit a little bit, uh, talk about how, like, you know, old times a little bit, and then uh, Faye and Spike are like, hey... Oh, he used to be a police officer. This makes so much sense. This is why Faye and uh, or Faye's like this is why he and I never get along, right? Um, so you get this really lovely sequence of Jet looking at this watch in his hand, and it's a, a watch that's stopped, and it has a kind of a crack through it. And then there's this like memory flash of this woman walking away in the rain. Um, and then as they approach Ganymede, um, and talking about Jet used to be there, um, Faye sort of needles him again about his potential past with a woman that left him or potentially that he left. And she's kind of being goofy, but this is a, almost an inversion from the last episode where Jet made a a joke about her age and she kind of didn't take it very well. Um, Mm -hmm. in this one, she makes a joke about his past with a woman and he doesn't take it very well. Um, yeah. And then the the policeman kind of comes on the screen and gives them some information. Um, and he mentions specifically that he hasn't seen Jet for seven or eight years. Um, and then he talks about Jet Jet's reputation being known as the black dog because once he had his teeth in something, he would never let go. Um, and he also mentions this woman named Elisa. Mm-hmm. And um, so we have a, a little break of the team. Um Spike and uh, Spike goes down to cash in on the bounty. Um, so obviously, Faye goes time, with him because money's involved. 
Yeah, and at the same time, you see uh, Jet going over to this little bar, or I can't I can't figure it out if it's like a bar or if it's like a restaurant. It might be like a mix of the two. It's a bar. They call and it he's a going, bar. Oh, yeah. Well, they, he's like reconnecting uh, with this, this person that he left, Elise. Um, he comes in in the bar. There's this guy like sitting super shadily at the end of the bar. Um, like sweating like, and stiff with one hand in his jacket, like clearly not great at blending in. Yeah. And Jet is like, uh, Hey, uh, is Elise here? And he's like, she hasn't been here for a long time. And then Elise just like completely like, just not on the same page. Ruins that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause she's just like, Hey, I'm here. <laughs> and she's like, Oh, it's okay. It's just Jet. This is an old friend of mine. Uh, why don't you stay for a drink? Yeah, the so guy this guy shuffles his, away. Yeah, his name's Rint, which is R H I N T, which is a weird name. Mm-hmm. Um, and Elisa's like catching up with Jet a little bit, and um, she's like, Oh, that's my boyfriend, which you can tell that Jet and Elisa had a past together. And so that's kind of uh, a little bit of well, a. Well, she messes, she messes with him first. She's like, we're married and we have a bunch of kids. That's true. And she's like, I'm kidding. I'm, he's actually just my boyfriend. Yeah. Um, so she's like, she's kind of fun, but she also is in a relationship and there seems to be some baggage there. She's kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> she's like a, she's like a fun girl. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so at the same time, uh, Spike is getting a hot tip, um, about, uh, about this bounty that is on Ganymede that's worth one point, I think it's like 1.8 million. And yeah, it it's not out nearly as big as the satellite bounty from last episode that they didn't get. <laughs> yeah. But it's like Rent is the bounty. And you find out that there was some sort of like debt collector and that Rent had done something and shot the debt collector. So. So uh, it's a sorry, it's a loan a loan shark, which I guess is the same thing. Uh, yeah, debt collector is a loan shark. Yeah, I just did you watch the dub? Yeah. Okay, because I watched the sub and they mentioned they called it a loan shark, and I bet they called it a debt collector in the the American version. They also yeah, mentioned that the American version. The policeman That's said right. that Elisa that like <laughs> rent was Elisa's gigolo, and I was like, I don't know. That that's right, <laughs> and that never comes back up. <laughs> it was weird. Whatever. So we're we get to this like beautiful sequence where Jet and Elisa are talking about their past, and Jet basically he would you know be working as a policeman, and he talks about how Elisa would always be waiting for him when he got home, and then one day he just came home and found a note. And a watch. And it's the watch that he was looking at earlier. And this really like hit home with me. And he's like, I wasn't even sad that you were gone because it just didn't feel real. And then that yeah. like lack of sadness slowly turned into this feeling of like emotional numbness. And it was like really intense because I've definitely had moments where I, I was like, I should feel sad about this, but I I don't because it doesn't feel like it's real. Yeah. And it, it does leave you feeling sort of empty and numb. Yeah. And she's, she said, you know, like when this watch stops, 
you know, if I'm still not back, like continue on with your life sort of no, thing. Wasn't that what Jet was saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's like, basically, he's like, oh, I, I kept this watch thinking that, like, when this watch had stopped, you would have returned. Yeah. Um, and he and, asks her why she left. And she's like, this one really got to me, too. This is a very personal episode for me. But she was like, you seem to think that time on Ganymede had stopped. Um. But it hasn't, and it's been a long time since you've been here. And I, and this is such a lie, but she tells him that she's forgotten the event that he's referring to. And so basically, like, she dodges the question with this, like, sort of critique on him living in the past, which is, was yeah. really cutting, and I took it very hard. Yeah. Well, he sort of gets frustrated by this and says goodbye to her and, like, wanders out of the bar. At the same time, Spike is uh, is kind of drawing near on finding where they are, and uh, they're like they're closing in on us. There's a bounty hunter. He's coming for us. We have to get out now. They yeah, know we're here. They don't really run specifically because Spike is after them, but like Rent is on edge, and he has yeah. this like really wonder like lovely sequence where he remembers the murder from the previous night and it's lovely because of the way it's animated and put together and not because he's killing somebody but like um he's basically losing it and elisa's like look there's nothing here for us um they they mentioned specifically that she's been struggling in the like long-term recession that has been going on in ganymede so she's having a really hard time economically like the bar is not working out and she's like we're just gonna we're just gonna leave and we're gonna escape and so they get into a boat and they leave. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, Spike, Spike has set out. To chase them. Yeah, Mike. Spike has set out on the swordfish too. And also, there's this moment. So so Faye gets her money and she goes to lay out on the beach and tan, and she's laying there. And Spike flies overhead in the swordfish as he launches off from the bebop. And there's just this gorgeous sequence where like you see sort of like her lying in the foreground and the swordfish flies overhead. And then there's just like a, a slight delay and then the wind whips her hair. And then you kind of like see her face with her hair just lying there and she's just like serene. And it's just so beautiful and atmospheric and so like well-made and wonderfully animated. And I was like literally sitting there and I like alone in my room watching this show. And I was like, this is beautiful. Like out loud. I said that like, it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. There's also a, a little bit of a throwaway uh, story that's happening with Faye and Ed at the same time, where right. Ed is taking a moment to ex- explore this uh, this adult woman that is uh, basically foreign to her. She's right. The way that she like looks at Faye is like a, I don't know, almost like a, uh, um some kind of alien that is yeah. like just found out what what is going on and why human women put like tanning lotion on themselves right and she has she has this moment she's like why are you doing this and she's like because flawless skin takes so much time to take care of and so like she touches her like leg and then she's like oh it's soft and then she starts rubbing her face on her leg and she's <laughs> like what are you doing 
It's great. It's a good subplot. But in the main plot, Spike is chasing Elisa and Rent. And he shoots at them, but he misses them intentionally. Like you see him have them in their sight, in his sights. And then he changes the targeting so that he shoots around them. Um, and they kind of lead him on a brief chase. And, and eventually they get into a tunnel that he can't fit into. So he has to pull up. And the tunnel's uh, underneath the skyscraper. And he shoots up into the sky, um, just like barely avoiding the skyscraper. And right as he gets to the top, another ship passes by and it's jet. And they both swerve and narrowly avoid crashing into each other. And Spike, Jet's like, what are you doing? And Spike reveals that um, he's chasing after the bounty that's rent. And Jet's like, hey, this is my deal. You need to go back to the ship and I'll handle this from here. And Spike's like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, I'm the black dog. And once I've got my teeth in this, they they won't be able to get away. Yeah. And there's this great sequence where they're trying to get away. They're firing, like, futilely at the ship. He's telling them that they need to stop, and they refuse. And so he shoots. uh, You see, the first time, the hammerhead shoot this crazy, like, bolt that has, like, a a cable attached to it. It's like a harpoon with a cord on it. Yeah. And it, well just like rips off the back of their boat and they uh uh the the guy rent is shooting at the ship and he realizes that he can't drive and shoot at the same time so he puts down the gun and at least picks up the gun and puts it on her lap they get the back of their ship ripped off skid to shore and uh uh jet I guess, like, lands. Rent knocks himself out in the crash or something like that because he's down i I don't think he's. I don't think he's knocked out though, because he's like laying on the ground. He's like maybe he's just kind of hurt from the. He's crash. just kind of written out of the scene. Like he's there, but he's not relevant. Yeah, but the next sequence is stunning. There's uh, Jet walking towards Elise. Elise screaming at him about her past, about how like he always would do this. He would always take control of everything. She was like, there was no, you know you would always do the right thing and I would question it, but you would always be right. And I wanted to live my life and I wanted to make my own mistakes. And even if I had to make mistakes, at least they would be mine. And it's just like this beautifully written sequence. And she's at the same time, like taking aim with a gun and almost shooting jet. She's like shooting the ground around jet and around him and she can't stop shaking. And then and she's he's advancing. Like, like he's walking yeah. toward her and she's shooting as like a, an intimidation tactic to get him to stop walking. And he is not. Yeah. And he's like, you have to give it up, Elise. It'll be okay. And she finally like collapses and she's just like, this is, I, I can't believe this is happening. And yeah. the most frustrating thing at the very end is that wrench just abandons her at the last moment. And Jet has to, like, grab him by the scruff of his neck and, like, slam him down to get him to stop. And he's just like, look, you're going to have to take care of her. You can't do this. But there's no way you're making it out of here right now. Yeah. Because, like, even if I let you go, there will be more bounty hunters and you will not survive them. Right. It's like you can't escape because you somebody else will find you. I'm the best person to find you. So it's time for this to be over. Um, Great sequence. Yeah, and Elisa says, so basically, like, Rint 
gets taken away and Elisa tells Jet that she's going to wait for rent. And Jet responds sort of referencing and um, contrasting with what she said about him earlier when she said that he thought that time on Ganymede stood still. He says that she won't have to wait very long because time is flowing along. And he turns and he walks away. And as he walks away, he pulls out the watch and he chucks it over his shoulder into the lake. Last little thing. He chucks it, but he chucks it so far. Well, he has a robot arm. I, I was I was looking at it and I was just like, holy shit, he threw it really far. Yeah, he's Anyways, not fucking around. He does not want that watch. <laughs> yeah, so we get to the last episode for today. That's number 11 is... called Toys in the Attic. And this is absolutely a send-up of Alien. Oh, yeah. And it's also we, done we can... in this really fun four-act structure that focuses on each human character on the ship and they're done in the form of lessons so like lesson one lesson two and each one covers about the same amount of time in the episode and it's great yeah and this this episode we're we'll probably take a little bit less time on this episode just because of like basically what you're dealing with is like a it's like a monster um it's like a monster movie almost yeah it's a fun episode uh, but it's not hugely consequential yeah and i i really kind of I almost don't want to give away the end of this one. I want this to be, I almost want this to be one of the episodes that it's just like, people need to watch it to get the full effect of it. Because like, if you give away the end of it, it's just kind of a bummer. (laughs) That's not a bummer. I don't know, man. It's just like, I, I like this episode so much just because of like, it, it does have that like, uh, like, I don't know, kind of like a magician effect. Where it's just like, once you know the trick at the end of it, it's not as exciting. No, I totally don't agree because I know the trick and it's so obvious in hindsight. Like watching this episode, I was like, yeah, it's clear what this is. Okay, okay. Well, I guess if if you want to watch this episode and you want to like make a decision on this, definitely, definitely stop this episode right now. Yeah. Listen or watch this episode and tell us what do you think about after you listen to this part, if you want to come back to it? Yeah. Because it's, like, again, it's episode had, 11. It's a great yeah. episode as they all are, but yeah, there's uh, sort of a reveal at the end and it's pretty fun. Sweet. Okay. So the characters are all sitting around on the bebop and they're bored and they're talking about how bored they are because as a bounty hunter, the only thing that you can do is hunt bounties. And so if there's nothing there, because you're self-employed, you have nothing to do. Yeah, but uh, Faye is taking advantage of Jet by playing him in a game of dice where she rolls the cup and asks him to tell whether or not the sum of the two dice is even or odd. And they're playing like a strip version. So Jet is like sitting there in shorts or underwear. And she rolls and then... And then... She, like, slams the cup down, and he says, odd. Actually, he goes, even. And she's like, oh, is it even? And he's like, no, it's odd. She's like, oh, is it odd? He's like, yeah, it's odd. And then you see her, like, tick this, like, brace, like anklet around her ankle with her other foot. And it changes the dice underneath the cup because they're, like, magnetic or something. So they all, they both show one, which makes it even. So Jet loses. And then he's like, she's like, you could, instead of like stripping off your last piece of clothing, you could just give me like 50 bucks, basically. And he's like, no, I'm a man of my word. And he just takes off his pants. 
And Spike Spike is walking in at the same time as the pants are falling down uh, like near his face. And he's just like, this is why I told you to not play cards with her. <laughs> play games with her. Yeah, and then Spike totally calls her out on her cheating after Jet's left. And Jet leaves to go stare out into space and ruminate over lesson one, which is to work hard for your money and uh, do something that sort of puts sweat on your brow. And that's how you live a, like a fulfilling life. And people who get rich quick or try to live off of others find divine retribution eventually. And that's sort of Spike's perspective on this whole thing. Um, and specifically, that's the kind of person that Faye is, which is why he's thinking it. Um, yeah. He then he steals away to the like I think it was a cargo hold or a hangar or something, um, and he's cold because he's naked. So he like bundles up in a blanket that's there, and then he looks over and he's like, "Huh, I didn't know there was a fridge here." Mm-hmm. That's so, where it all starts to go wrong. Yeah, that's basically Act One and Lesson One. So we cut to Faye's act, which is Act Two or Lesson Two: Survival of the Fittest. Which is great because it's such a, it's like a, a a contradiction to the lesson one, um, you know. Instead of working hard and and trying to get rich quick or whatever, Faye's whole philosophy is, if I can outwit you, that's me surviving better. Yeah. Uh, mean. Meanwhile, we haven't really gotten into the fact that like Ed is just basically just sleeping through this whole episode she does some stuff not really she's mostly just like kind of like either either kind of exploring around or just like asleep in this episode she's the one who posits that the creature that we're about to encounter is an alien and not a rat oh yeah i forgot about that part yeah so an alarm goes off while um spike and Faye are sitting around and jet uh, they rush over to the hangar or cargo hold where Jet is, who reveals that he was bitten by something. And they all think it's a rat. And Jet's like, it wasn't a rat. It bit me on my neck. And, like, a rat would not bite like this. And he has, like, this purple mark where he was bitten. Yeah. And he starts to succumb to whatever this bite is. It's doing, like, it's it's starting to mess with his head. And it kind of looks like he's feverish. And he he promptly, like, passes out. Yeah. So uh, you then the the crew's kind of sitting around um, trying to analyze, uh, I guess, a sample of Jet's blood or something like that to figure out what these toxins are um, that are in his blood that have caused him to be so sick. And they can't find a good match to these different viruses that they're looking through. And uh, Faye is adamant that it was a rat. Ed shows up and thinks that it's a mysterious space creature. And Spike kind of settles in the middle by saying it might be a, a rat that's mutated. I like that you're like, Spike is the rational one here because he's finding a happy medium between the two. <laughs> sort of. He's mediating a little <laughs> bit. So yeah. then we cut to Faye sitting in the bath with her leg kind of draped over the side. Yeah. And she is the next victim to be bitten by the something that is on the ship. By the way, every time you're seeing this something on the ship, it's with, like, this cool red lens, and it's, like, skirking around, like, the ventilation system. Yeah, you see from its perspective, and it's sort of like a fisheye lens, all in red. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, You also start to slowly get more 
info about it. So when you first see it at the start of the episode, you're just seeing it from its perspective and you don't see any limbs or anything like that, but you just kind of hear this skittering sound. And then um, you sort of hear the sound again when Jet gets bitten. And then when Faye is bitten, you see something sort of amorphous drip out of the ceiling, kind of like a slime or a sludge. And then she's bitten. Yeah. And, and then we cut they, to lesson they three. Goes down quick too, by the way. Yeah, yeah. The toxin seems to act a little bit faster. I don't know if that's intentional or if they're just kind of trying to pace the episode out. But uh, we cut into lesson three, which is Ed's lesson, and that lesson is: if you see a stranger, follow him, which is not great advice. <laughs> yeah. So Ed so. and Ein are exploring the ship, uh, and they're in the really cool part of the bebop. That's like the rotating part. It's like a it's kind of like a giant hamster wheel and it's the source of the gravity on the ship. And it's a really cool touch. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, this is actually like a pretty cool science bit. Um, It's uh, using the centripetal force to push everybody out and it creates like a false sense of gravity. And I guess that's what they're using on the ship. It's uh, uh, actual science. It's great. I guess false gravity, whatever. So um, Ayn is with Ed and Ayn gets bitten and um, you sort of don't see the creature bite um, bite Ayn. But at this point, um, it's been established that Spike has these heat vision goggles and he's using it to try and track the monster. And you saw the monster earlier, but it was kind of a blink and you'll miss it moment. Um, and it was only in the heat vision goggles. It looked kind of like something squiggling around and like maybe an error or a readout. But uh, Spike discovers Ayn lying on the ground having been bitten. And he looks with the heat vision goggles and he sees this like amorphous blob sort of zigzagging back and forth and rushing toward him. And he grabs Ayn and sort of freaks out and um, dodges below deck to avoid the creature. So we actually forgot to talk about uh, a little bit earlier before they co- uh, Spike comes in on their like poker game, uh, like strip poker game, and he is uh, he is eating like a, a piece of like a kebab or something, and he like bites into it, and he he's like, oh, this is what what is this? It it tastes okay, what? I guess, and then he sort of like spits it out. And um, he finished walking in on the poker game. This is important oh, because yeah. um, here in just a little bit, he's going to be um, he's going to be smelling uh, the same smell that he smelled earlier. And he talks about yeah. that. Um, and he's like, he mentions like, oh, this smells exactly the same. And that's when he starts to have the realization. Yes. So it's actually right after he right after he burns it. So he yeah, he does a, a an arming himself montage and he gets a flamethrower and goes to hunt the creature and finds it and sort of like runs it into the corner and uh fires the flamethrower on it like two or three times until it seems to be charred to a crisp. And then he sniffs it and he's like, "Huh." This reminds me of something and he realizes that it smells like these leftovers and even more than that he realizes that those are leftovers from a year ago that he left in the fridge and forgot about 
So he heads back to the fridge in the cargo hold and opens it up and it's just like mold. Like it's like a peering into some sort of like alien jungle or something like that. It's disgusting. He then uh, gets the fridge and he starts to uh, pull it towards the edge. Um, He's just like pulling it through the cargo hold by himself. Which it sounds more epic than it is. He hauls it by cutting the gravity off so that he can just push it around. Yeah, he's using a gravity cheat. He's going to jettison it out into space. He then uh, starts to uh, cut um, the the gravity inside of the area and starts to open the airlock so that he can he can uh, remove this uh, this refrigerator. Well, he pushes the fridge out, but the creature's still in there with him. So then he uh, opens this airlock and he starts to um, get the refrigerator underneath it. And at the same time, the the weird amorphous blob thing um, starts to come at him and it like bites him on the hand uh, that he's like holding on. Um, and he starts to lose his grip as he opens up this airlock and it it um, it it pulls it. It starts to pull both things um, out of the airlock. Yeah, from the now fast-acting Venom, and he gives us lesson four, which is you shouldn't leave things in the fridge. It's really a good lesson for for all time. Then there's this, like, beautiful, like, sequence that's in space. Well, in a second, right? Isn't is, I think the beautiful sequence is how it ends right after this last bullet point, right? No, I think it happens, like... I think it happens, like, right afterwards. Okay. All right. Well, beautiful sequence. Go. So there's this, this uh, like, epic uh, piano music playing in the background while you see uh, cuts of the different Bebop crew just kind of, like, floating around on the inside of the ship. Yeah, like spores or something. And it's kind of, like, raining out, uh, like, this. It's, it's, like, golden. It looks like um, like rainbow dust out of the fridge as it's floating away. And lastly, you see Ed, who's, like, laying on the ground uh, or, like, floating around a little bit. And she she wakes up and, like, grabs the amorphous blob as it, like, comes past her. And she just, like, pops it in her mouth and eats it. Yeah, she thinks it's a sweet bean roll. And she just pops it in her mouth and eats it and then goes on sleeping. No, I mean, she says it was, like, pudding. Uh, but I was watching, like, the American dub. Yeah, well, I mean, back in, what is it, like the early 2000s, like people wouldn't know what a sweet bean roll is. Um, so that's that's the end of the episode, but there's a really funny joke in the like next time on, because like most episodes end with CU Space Cowboy. This episode ends with the end, and then after the credits, they have the next time on pre- uh, preview. And this is not very common in America. Usually, if you get a next time on preview, it's just clips of next week's episode or whatever. In anime, a lot of the time, it's clips of the show. But instead of the audio, you hear one character talking over the clips. And it's usually a joke. And in this instance, that is fully on display it's Ed talking over the next time on credits, and she's like, that's it. That's how they all died. The show's over. Next week, come back for the brand new show about Space Cowboy Edward. It's hysterical. Truly, the best way to end an episode is for everyone to die. So that is the end of our episode for today. 
Um, Next week, we will be back with Naruto, and we'll see you then. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions. With sound editing work done by Rashad English of Plain English Productions. He's our level four sound wizard. Our podcast is ad-free and we want to keep it that way. If you want to help us keep releasing episodes without the use of ads, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patrons get exclusive member content as well as unlocking group perks. Follow us on Twitter at B&S Get Jumped and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. New episodes come out every Sunday on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like the show, please like, subscribe, and review. Reviews help us chart on iTunes. Next week, the Battle of the Bridge comes to its conclusion, and the first arc of Naruto ends. Believe it!